Hello and welcome along to the Property Academy podcast. I'm your host, Ed McKnight. And I'm Andrew Nichol. And today on the show, we are once again joined by Tony Alexander, who is an independent economist. And today we're going to be talking about what are the factors that drive house price increases. And I guess subtly below that, we're really asking what are the factors we should be looking at if we are looking for for uh, increases in house prices in the properties that we're investing in. So Tony, when you're looking at, at uh, what's driving house House price increases, what factors are you looking at? Yeah, I'm looking for, I guess, the long-term stuff. Short-term focus things, uh, you know, they can come and they can go. But what I've been emphasising to people, especially, I guess, from 2008 through to 2011, was some of the long-term structural changes which were underway in New Zealand. Which, And I've got to run through uh, a version of a list I've been running through since back at that time. But generally, uh, as an economist, if I was looking at another country, trying to give a view in the space of 10 minutes on the housing market, and I'd, I'd never heard them before, um, I'll be looking at what are your interest rates doing. If your interest rates are going up, going down, if your interest rates are going up, going up it's eventually going to slow your housing market uh, uh, down. If they're falling away, it'll eventually push the prices um, up. You have a look at your migration numbers for a country like New Zealand in particular. Now, for most countries, the migration numbers won't be a key driver of their housing markets because their populations are big. And so the migration movements are a small percentage of their population. But for New Zealand, we've only got 5 million people here. We will get sort of 128,000 people coming in, 87,000 people leaving. We've got two big stacks of people going in and coming out. And as a proportion of our population, we're running at the moment of an annual 0.9% boost from the net migration gain of 45,000 over the past year. These things can flip around very quickly in New Zealand. You get a little drop in the number, the big stack of people coming in, a little increase in the number of people leaving. For boom, you've gone from positive to negative. So that's a key one to keep an eye on. The other one, of course, is your state of your economy. If people are getting jobs, uh, they're making profits out, out there, they're going to be looking to get a house upgrade their house, make an aspirational purchase of a holiday home, coastal property, um, or whatever. So those are sort of the three big things you would look at. And then there's a whole mishmash of all other sort of stuffs, um, uh, bank credit availability that you look at. And over the long term, what I've tried to emphasise to people is that there's no use you doing a comparison of, say, house price average at the moment with incomes versus average house prices versus incomes 30, 40 years ago and trying to reach some conclusion of they're overpriced now because the whole world has changed right. even, even as we speak right mm. now. And the migration flows into New Zealand have changed. No one in this country talks about brain drain any mm. longer. People are staying. Yes. People are com- coming in. The credit it used to be heavily restricted up until financial deregulation of the 1980s. Now you can get a mortgage. Previously, um, you couldn't. People invest in property. It's not just a few odds and sods as it used to be, 50s, 60s, 70s into the 1980s. We had foreigners doing a lot of buying in New Zealand sort of post-late 80s, 90s, and now, of course, it's, it's a, bit, a bit the other way. You have two income households with the entry of females into the workforce, by and large, from the 1970s. It boosted household income. People could afford to buy a higher-priced property than was the case um, previously. We've had three decades of messages from governments in New Zealand. In retirement, maybe you're not going to get national super. You better build up some assets. Well, people have been building up assets, and that didn't happen before. And there's a whole range of factors like that uh, on top of the the main three ones uh, I've mentioned. 
And I think even if we think about when mortgages were first introduced, I did some research in advance of this, the, the previous maximum term on a mortgage was five years when they were first introduced, I think, by, way back in the, in the 1920s or something. You'll be able to correct me if, if I'm wrong around this. No, don't yeah. know. He's not, he's not saying anything, yeah. so I've got to assume that's correct from the research. You know, and so the lengthening of the mortgage term from five years to thirty years means that uh, repayments can can be brought down, and so so less of their income can, needs to go towards it. So there, you're right in that there are a whole heap of uh, factors and changes that naturally happen, whether to the financial um, products or, or things that happen in the market that impact uh, people's ability to get credit and then for what they can can bid on a house. It's just interesting that the um, you know the media always publishes you know articles about you know income to, to mortgage ratios and, and and it being such a so far out than what it used to be and really affordability hasn't changed that great a deal and, and like you say you've got double income um, families now um, people probably putting off ha- having kids um, way later they're working longer all of these kind of things make it actually just as affordable if not more in some cases yeah well I guess it depends what sort of price range you're looking at out there I mean certainly there's a lot more household debt you you know, uh, the ratio of household debt to income now is about 163%. It was 60% back in 1992. Um, so, yeah, the creditors become available and people have borrowed a lot. But nobody should be thinking that debt growth is the key driver um, of the housing market. And what I mean there is that at the moment, like I say, the ratio of total household debt to income is 163%. Back in 2007, 2008, that was about 157%. That ratio has only gone up by six percentage points over a time when we've seen a, a doubling of house prices in the same period. So you can get a big increase in house prices that is not driven by a huge increase in debt. The big increase in total household debt was in the 10 years leading into about 1999. Household debt in New Zealand grew about 20, 220%. In the following 10 years, 140%. In the most recent 10-year period, it's grown by about 60 so when people say uh, it's all speculators, it's all debt-funded growth in the housing market causing change in house prices, not correct. A factor, which was heavily relevant in the past, not so much these days. So we often work with investors, Tony, and um, you know they're looking at doing this for a long-term investment. And we, we sort of, I mean, previously you might say seven to 10 years was a good safe length of time. We tend to say it's more like 15 years now. Uh, do you have any opinion as to what you think is safe, uh, <laughs> as safe as you can as an economist? Yeah, yeah the longer the better, yes. basically, because over any short time period, you can have shocks come along. It seems increasingly so these days. Maybe it's an earthquake, maybe it's uh, it's flooding, um, uh, a global you know virus, your, your SARS, H1N1, H5N1 or something was another yeah. one, and of course the coronavirus at the moment. So you take a long-term um, profile. And a recent yes. survey I did of Barfoot and Thompson agents um, up here in, uh, in Auckland noted that about 91% of the agents were saying, you know, our investors, they're looking at holding at least for the uh, three-year period. Um, uh, about fifty-five percent are holding for five years. Still too short. Absolutely. I think more investors need to extend their horizon out, and especially in the context of there is roughly a ten-year cycle. I don't like to put a too much of a timing on it, but because I've got the numbers in my head from a talk I gave this morning, we saw roughly a doubling of Auckland house prices between nineteen ninety-three to ninety-six, two thousand and two to two thousand and five, oh six, and from two thousand and twelve to two thousand and sixteen. So it comes around about once a decade, it lasts for three to five years, the period of strong price growth, and then things you know flatten out um, um, for a while. But yeah, I tend to think for property, as any farmer knows, 
you don't go and buy that farm intending only to hold it for five or ten years. Yes. You know, in most cases, they're looking at 40, 50 years, if not longer. Keep your long-term time period. And so what do you look at then? Okay, so if he's talking about 10 to 15 years, where do I look? You look, first of all, at where the population growth is likely to occur, and increasingly around the world, that is in the cities and major regional centres. And also, you put another uh, overlay on that, where's the infrastructure going? Yes. Where's the transport network going? Because in the old centuries, earlier days, there were, there were no numbers, there was yes. no economics. Where did I, as an investor, choose to purchase land back in the 1600s or 1700s? Where the port's going, where the railway line is going? Yes. Look for that overlay. Right. And just before we wrap up this episode as well, Tony, you, you talked about that there were some structural changes that happened between 08 and, and 2011 in the, in the property market. Do you want to just explain what those are and what you meant by that? Oh, okay. Uh, so some of them I've already had a look at in terms of, you know, change in family incomes, um, that sort of thing. The migration one over the longer term would be over that 10-year period to about uh, 1989. Each year on average, we lost 14,000 people. 10 years to 1999, we gained 10,000 per annum. 10 years to 2009, we gained 20,000, 24,000 per annum. And now we're gaining on average 29,000 per annum. If you're looking specifically at the uh, shorter uh, time period, the bigger one, I think, out there would be the acknowledgement, the realisation by people that interest rates are going to remain low. And the most ironic thing for the past 10 years has been that at exactly at this time period of baby boomers officially starting to retire from 2011, they haven't been doing what people have feared and asked me questions about for three decades of when the baby boomers retire, they're going to sell their houses and that's what's going to collapse the housing market. Mm. They've done exactly the opposite because they've seen the low returns they're getting on term deposit rates. Sure. They're nowhere near what they were getting before. And so they've become new housing investors. That's right. They haven't been selling. They've been buying yeah. instead. And that's largely from that 211, 212. We've, we've been working with a lot of um, people who are now in retirement and who are looking for really high yielding properties rather than thinking about the growth because they're just interested in the income now. But it's interesting that some of them are even willing to take on some debt um, and, 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 and sort of pay that down you know, in their 60s because they know that they're not going to get much in the way of term deposit interest rates. Yeah, and the interesting thing I think about the older generation is that every single one of them will remember what they paid for their first house right. in 1978 or, or whatever. And they got, of course, they're going to live longer in retirement uh, than was the case for earlier generations. So they're also looking for an asset to give them an income yes. flow and yes. maybe some gain over a long period. And, and just, one last question before oh. we wrap up. Sorry, Andrew, I'm going to take it. Um, there, there, are, there are all of these factors we've talked about, about six or seven factors we've probably talked about in this episode. How do you put it all together to make that decision? Because they're not all going to be going in the same direction, well, are magic they? magic, Ed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, first of all, I have never seen anyone develop an accurate house price forecasting model using all the numbers that are available out there, developing equations. I've never seen them develop a model which is actually given accurate price forecasts. It's an art. It's a balancing act. What I aim to do is try and drag people away from focusing too much on one thing. People would focus a lot on house prices will collapse 10 to 15% when the foreign buyer ban comes in. Yes. <laughs> no, they did yes. not. They're going to fall away when you can't claim depreciation. No, they did not. Oh, they're going to fall away because of ring fencing. No, they will not. So I've tried to get people to look at the great multitude of factors out there, recognising that actually there's no equation to put them all together. And in the end, what do I do? What have I been doing for a long time? I do a T account. I do the positives. And the negatives, 
that side's longer, therefore I have a bias towards the prices are going to fall or flatten or, or they're going to rise, in this case for housing, for an extended period. Amazing, amazing. Well, uh, one last question. So how much does the government have an influence on the on the housing prices going up or down? Oh, the poor beggars. They'd like to think they have, <laughs> <laughs> they, they'd like to think they have an influence, but they do not. The economic fundamentals overwhelm them. Uh -huh. Population growth, infrastructure change, and look at the the, the failure on Kiwi build, yeah. uh, for yeah. instance. No, they 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 their impact is actually just the minimal. answer I was expecting. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Property <laughs> Academy podcast. Um, make sure you tune in tomorrow because where Tony is going to be back again uh, covering another three three more topics. And please don't forget to rate, review and subscribe. It really does help us get the message out to more people. Thanks for listening to the Property Academy podcast. I'm your host, Ed McKnight. And I'm Andrew Nichol. And we're going to be back again tomorrow with even more daily strategies, tactics and insights to help you get the most out of the New Zealand property market. Until next time.